Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom, my friends. Good to see all of you. You can hear me waving to each other. It's good to see you. Hi, Kim, Wanda, Robin, Cal, Ardell, Rick, Naomi. This is fun. We're together again right before Rosh Hashanah. We're together before the final countdown. Um, it's, it's coming up quick. Tomorrow night uh, it, it begins. And, and this feels like a big one for me. It does. It's a big fellowship. At least it feels like that to me. I'm actually hearing you. Are you able to hear me? Because I'm hearing some of you. Okay, you're able to hear me. All right. I, don't, I love hearing you as well. It's just an interesting phenomenon. Anyways, it's the day of judgment is approaching. And uh, it's not only the judgment for the Jewish people, but it's for all of humanity. I was actually reading an English translation of a Hebrew book that was uh, given to me in which the author explained that on Rosh Hashanah, Adam Harrison was born and that we're, that's what we're celebrating on Rosh Hashanah. And of course I was intrigued. I'd never heard of Adam Harrison, who is this curious man that uh, humanity celebrates his birth. And then I realized that it was one of those beautiful only in Israel transliterations. And it was actually Adam Harishon, the first Adam, the first man that was created on Rosh Hashanah. Not to dismiss the important contributions of Adam Harrison. I'm sure he did great things too. But, um, but it's important to start there because we need to remember that if there's any holiday for all of humanity that isn't unique to the Jewish people, it's Rosh Hashanah. Because all of mankind, we stand before our creator, uh, uh, the creator of heaven, the creator of earth in judgment. And I, I want to talk about that as we go ahead. But, um, you know, as I sat down to put the fellowship together this week, it was uniquely challenging. And I'm not sure I really rose to the occasion, although I definitely have given it my all. Um, and I've, I've, I've felt this strong sense of unworthiness to lead this fellowship. And I felt it before, but even more so now, when it feels like so much is on the line. It's so important. And I hold all of you in such high esteem that I felt, I just felt unworthy. And I just want to put that out there. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's so much to talk about. There's so much to share. Where would I start? And, uh, and, and, and there's such great rabbis in Israel, in Judea, just to come out to the farm that I see walking through the supermarkets of Judea. Why was I given such a privilege to lead this fellowship when I feel like the least of all of them? And then I realized that looking that feeling in the eye is really what Rosh Hashanah is about to a large degree. Because what does it mean to really coronate Hashem as king of the world? And I think that's the theme of this fellowship. I mean, what does it mean to truly place the crown on the king's head in our own hearts? It means to recognize that he doesn't make mistakes. Everything in the world, everything in our lives is exactly how he wants it. And every moment that we look at any aspect of our lives and think, that was a mistake, that should be different, every moment that we think that something is not as it should be, well, that's a moment when we've taken the crown off the king's head and placed it on our own head. Because in that moment, we know. We know how things should be. And so for whatever reason, Hashem entrusted me to lead this fellowship. And I just pray that he uses me to bring you just a little bit of the light that you really deserve here. So that's what these final days of Rosh Hashanah, before Rosh Hashanah are for, to do tshuva to do tshuva in whatever way we know how with all of our hearts. I, if we think to ourselves, I don't know how to do it. I, I, I didn't study enough. I don't know what to do. Time is running out. And I feel like this holy opportunity of Elul has slipped right through my fingers. And I didn't learn what I needed to learn or do what I needed to do. Well, the Parsha tells us, no, this matter is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's there already. It's there already. We just need to take a moment, dig deep. Listen for that voice and return to Hashem. And that's what this fellowship is about, holding each other up, encouraging each other, and doing tshuva together. Now, I've shared on past fellowships that I've been uh, trying to take to heart and live the words of Maimonides and tackle one of the foundations of tshuva, where he says the prophet be, prophet process begins with our physical bodies. So we can all go into the reasons that he says that later but I've been trying to eat better and eat cleaner and eat at the right times and most importantly to work out. And if my body's going to be a vessel for Hashem's light, 
so I can seek to serve him with my whole heart. Well, then it needs to be healthy and strong. So I started doing a training program of intermittent running. You run for 90 seconds and you walk for 30 seconds. And, and this was good at the beginning, but Thursday morning, Jeremy called me. I already see him laughing. He called me and he said, Ari, you're running with me today. And I thought, okay, I'm ready for that. Or I didn't think that because what else was I going to say? I don't know, Jeremy, you've been running for nearly two years and I just started. Maybe it's not a great idea. Maybe I won't be able to keep up with you. There's no chance I was going to say that to Jeremy. And I realized faking an injury this quickly wouldn't have been believable. So I had little choice. So we ran through the precipitous mountains of the Judean frontier. And let's just say it was not a pretty sight. Jeremy doesn't exactly take walk breaks. And while I could tell he was going slower for me, it was still very, very difficult, even embarrassing. After the first kilometer, I was panting so hard. There were times I told Jeremy that I was going to stop. But each time he convinced me to push a little bit more just to the next mountain, that I was doing really well, that I break through the wall, that the pain was good for me and pushing me. He was just pushing me forward. And uh, surprisingly, there was no taunting, no teasing, uh, only affirmations and encouragement. And while I did make it to the end, I was done. I was wheezing, I was hunched over, and I really felt at the time, I felt defeated and ashamed that I was in such bad condition, much worse than I thought. But Jeremy just started with the praise, how strong I am, that despite the pain, I didn't stop even once. That before I knew it, I'd be in great shape and I'd be beating him, that he was just so encouraging. It was really a true fellowship. And it hit me that that's what this fellowship is really about. It's about standing together and encouraging each other and pushing each other and believing in each other. Because in repentance, there really is no destination. You've never arrived. The journey is the destination and we're all on this journey together. So before I dive in, before I share some very big news and somewhat challenging news, I don't want to call it bad news because we know there's no such thing as bad. Uh, but it's unfolding out at the farm. And some of you may have heard it, some of you may have read it in the news, but I want to introduce Jeremy to set the stage and encourage all of you as he has encouraged me. So Jeremy, here you go. Are you driving right now? Well, I, I'm in the car right now outside the municipality here in Gushetzion. We're preparing for a meeting that we have tomorrow with the land authority. So I'm not going to get into all of the politics because I think that that's sort of like talking about the vaccine or not vaccine when dealing with Corona. There's something that's deeper that's happening here. Um, you know, last week we touched on prophecy. We had the first wedding of the Arugot farm, like almost a thousand people were there. It was such a huge light that was brought into the world. And when you bring light into the world, sometimes darkness is woken up. And out of nowhere, we got a demolition order on the vineyards in the heart of our property, like in the valley that connects our farm. It's in the heart of our farm, a de demolition order from the Israeli army saying that they are going to come on Tuesday and destroy our vineyards. And it was such an insane order. Uh, we, it, not, it was impossible to explain such a thing. Um, nothing like that has happened in Judea and Samaria in more than 10 years. There's no reason to destroy our vineyard. It's on state land. There's no court order. There's no one claiming that it's their land. It was just evil for the sake of evil. No, it doesn't matter that there's a family that's livelihood is tied into that vineyard, that there's been hundreds of thousands of shekels, five years of labor, where we're finally now able to make our first bottles of wine and all of that is now going to go to waste. They're just going to destroy us? Like what? How? What is going on? It, it, this has been one of the most stressful weeks that I can remember in years. I've been on the phone with politicians, with the media. There were two sleepless nights. It has been a battle. Just in, I, it's, um, I, I don't know what else to say, but it is, um, it's a sign, meaning we are at the tip of the spear of Jewish settlement in the land of Israel. That's what we signed up for. This is where the rubber meets the road. 
And there's going to be friction there. It's going to be hard. It's okay. We wanted that. We wanted to push the envelope forward. We wanted to be where Hashem wants us to be. But to get a demolition order with no notice, with no court order, with no, just for no reason other than from some politicians to prove how powerful they are and to cuddle up to the left or to the Arab parties, it's just unbelievable. And so we didn't know what to do. So call, I've literally just called every single person <laughs> that I've ever met in my life that has any sort of power, or any sort of connections, and we've just shaken the heavens. And tomorrow, is our final date to meet with the land authority. And tomorrow is the eve of judgment day. And how could it be in such crazy timing if that's not God just sending us a message saying, listen, there is a test that's being put upon you right now. Hashem is correcting us right now. We're being corrected. You know, I don't like the word punishment because it sounds like we've done, like it's, it's a correction. It's, it's fixing us. So that means that we have something that we need to fix. We're being called to order. We're being called to action. Rosh Hashanah is judgment day. And all of a sudden, the heart of our farm, if you could imagine prophecies being fulfilled and on the year of Shemitah to uproot dunams and dunams, acres of vineyards for no reason. It's like, what a dark evil. Who's doing this? And so... There are two levels that I want to address this issue with. One is I very much stand with where Ari is saying. Everything that happens here is in Hashem's hands. And everything that happens, happens for the good. So this may be a long road to victory. It may be a rocky road to victory. There may be ups, there may be downs. And we're ready for whatever they throw at us. But right now, on a personal level, all of us have decrees hanging over our heads. And if we don't correct ourselves, those decrees will come and they're not gonna destroy our vineyards, but they're gonna wreak havoc in our lives. Maybe we're ignoring our wives or ignoring our husbands. Maybe we're neglecting our health. Maybe we're not prioritizing our children and our families. Maybe we're not doing what we know we should be doing Right now, there are decrees that if we do not fix what needs to be fixed in our lives, our vineyards are going to be destroyed. Everyone in this fellowship, it's a blessing because it's a wake-up call. That vineyard is all of our vineyards, and it's just Hashem communicating to us, calling us to order. And so I kept on praying, what do I need to fix? What do I need to correct? I'm ready. You tell me, and I'm ready. And so here's what I've come to after many hours of pondering and praying. Why is this happening? And why is this happening now? The eve of Rosh Hashanah out of nowhere, the eve of Shemitah to be the vineyard that's going to be uprooted. Like, wow, we're on the front lines of this unfolding drama in the heart of the land of Israel. What is going on here? And so here's what I've come to for more than a year now. People have been sending in their prayer requests to this fellowship, to myself and to Ari. And I've been praying my little heart out for every single family, every request. I just pour my heart out as best as I know how. And I know Ari does the same. And Ari started a new initiative mm -hmm. where now even he's praying together with the fellowship. People are sending in their prayers. And so what I realized is that Hashem is not answering my prayers. Hashem is answering our prayers. And so right now, tomorrow is a form of judgment day. And so now is the time to not only correct our actions and to realign ourselves with what's good in the world, to crown God as king of our life is finally, you know, throughout the year, we always pray, well, God, I, I want this from you and I want that from you and I need help with my business and I need help with my marriage and I need help with my children. But on Rosh Hashanah, when he's king, we say, Hashem, it's not what I'm asking of you. It's what you're asking of me. How can I be a better servant? How can I bring more light into the world? And so now my ask is of this fellowship that today over Rosh Hashanah, they're going to make the decree. And so now I'm asking all of us to pray together. Not that Ari and I will be praying for you. 
but that all of us will come together now all around the world and that this Rosh Hashanah we should pray for the land of Israel pray for the vineyards and the Arugot farm let's open that line of communication to Hashem because right now this government the army the civil administration the land authorities they're so powerful we have no power against them we're just farmers in the mountains of Judea we have no political clout not really we have a little bit of pull in the media all we have is Hashem and so now I want to call on this fellowship over the holiday to please pray for this vineyard shake the heavens let's all come together not Ari and I praying for the fellowship but now it's the fellowship praying for the Arugot farm our home in the land of Israel all of our homes and so that I think is what Hashem is calling us to do now he's calling us to call on you that all of us should come together and pray for each other and pray for the land of Israel together and that's how we're meant to enter into this year and who knows what miracles might happen and how hearts can be changed and so you are on the inner circle of what's going on in the Arugot farm and the Arugot farm is just very strategically placed in the heart of biblical Israel at the edge of Jewish settlement so you've all found mm -hmm. yourselves at the cutting edge at the tip of the spear of the Jewish move to settle this land and now it's our turn to shake the heavens and all of us all of us all of us come together in prayer and call Hashem to reveal his glory and reveal his protection and help us and so all of you should have a beautiful sweet new year I can't wait to meet you after the holiday and I'll tell you what happens to meet us before Yom Kippur and Hashem should bless you. He should bless you that everything is good, but we say Shana Tova Umetuka, a good and sweet year. Because everything is good, but it's not always sweet. So we want this year to be a good and sweet year. And so Hashem should bless you and He should bless all of us with this opportunity to have a direct focus on what our prayers are about, to connect us to a particular place in the land of Israel and watch Hashem do what He does best and reveal his will in the world so thank you all and um we got to be strong the nation of israel is a ancient ancient people and a long road that doesn't bother us so it's a long road ahead but together i think that we might be able to just do about anything if we call god into our lives so thank you all shana tova metuka and we will absolutely keep you updated Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy, that was really, truly beautiful. Um, and it really sums up a lot of my experience. If this fellowship does end up being disjointed or fall short, a lot of it, I don't want to use excuses, is about how overwhelmingly immersed, I mean, burning the candle at both ends, we were just shooting from the hip in every direction, trying to do what we can to annul this decree. And, uh, you know, listening to Jeremy speak and watching your faces, I'm watching the face of my good friend Tar Rawls right now. And as Jeremy is talking, he's, he's crying. And I'm just feeling so honored to be in this fellowship with people who are so spiritually connected, who have such empathy, and um, who are able to let themselves go and immerse themselves in, in what we're going through and our challenges. And I just... Uh, I just want to bless all of you that just as you're so consumed with other people's issues and challenges, Hashem should be consumed with yours and you should just be filled with blessing and with light and with life because it's just, it's just been such a roller coaster. You know, I, I'm, I didn't realize how attached I was to this vineyard um, until this, this came up and just, you know, we're all out at the farm praying and, and I want to talk about the vineyard. I want to go into that soon but first I want to address what Jeremy said about today being judgment day because um, we're all standing before Hashem all of mankind whether we're aware or, or not whether we know it or not this past Shabbat was a special one one of my greatest inspirations I've mentioned him to you before his name is Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum he lives in Hebron he's one of the spokesmen for Hebron him and Yishai Fleischer it's just like the most unbelievable tag team. Um, he stayed with us at the farm the Shabbat, and he pointed out to me that one of the beautiful reasons that this Parsha is so perfect for right now that is that this Torah portion 
just the titles, you know, we actually put meaning and value into just what the titles of the Torah portion are, which is usually the first two words of the Torah portion. So all of the prior Torah portions and the next one are all action oriented. Think about it. Last week was Kitavo, meaning when you enter, which talks about entering the land. And the one before that was Kitetse, meaning when you go out, of course, talking about going out to war. And even next week's Torah portion is Vayelech, and he walked, which will be about uh, when Moses uh, was walked out to share his final message with the nation of Israel before his passing. So when you enter and when you leave and when you go, it's all about moving. But this week's Torah portion, it's called Nitzavim, which means that we are standing, standing still, standing before the king, prepared for the decrees that await us. And this is, a, this is a time for stillness. This is a time for prayer, uh, for being present to appreciate the gravity and magnitude of the fact that we are standing before the king of the world. And for me, this feels like a particularly big Rosh Hashanah. It feels like this coming year will be a very consequential one. Not only for me and my family, I won't go into that now, but I think I probably will next fellowship. And not only for us out here at the farm regarding the vineyards and all of the other things that we're dealing with out here. I mean, it's so overwhelming. Not only for Israel, who we're now facing an overwhelming wave of, of corona, this plague, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, we say, who by fire, who by water, who by plague, who, me by cherub, me by mine, me by, and who by fire. We're, I mean, it's a checklist and you look around the world and these things are all happening. And, and so this year feels like it's a big one for, for the whole world. Who else feels like this is going to be a consequential year? Let's see hands. So, wow, I think almost everybody I'm seeing right now is raising their hands. There's no right, right or wrong answer here. I don't know. I just want to know if you feel it as well, that this year is going to be a, a big one and a consequential one. Because, listen, this is just uh, seeing the writing on the wall. And when there's writing on the wall, you should try to read it. And the winds of history are changing. There's no question about it. I remember telling Jeremy right after this Afghanistan pullout debacle that, that I mean, since this pullout, the Taliban has become one of the best equipped armies in the world. How crazy is that? I remember telling him that I feel like, like the first domino was just pushed over. And we're going to see the entire world change because of this series of, of events that transpired from this totally mindless, brainless, irrational decision. And I'm not a prophet. What do I know? I'm just, but that's how I felt. And the events that have been unfolding since then see, seem to confirm that hypothesis. I mean, China and Russia are now aligning themselves with the Taliban. It seems like an allies and an axis are forming and while certain superpowers are declining, others are ascending, and everything stands to change in very significant ways. I remember seeing a, a hearing a Holocaust survivor saying that, you know, she leading up to the Holocaust, she didn't get involved in politics. Politics wasn't her thing. She always thought it was sort of something out there. And then politics caught up with her family and her life in the very real way. And I feel like our lives are going to be really significantly uh, affected. When I speak to friends in Jerusalem, they feel it too. Friends in Judea, they're feeling it. You know, here's a clip of prayers the other night at the Western Wall, right behind the Temple Mount. That um, it's powerful. You don't need to know the words. You can hear the depth of the call to God, the soul, and people. Uh, you know, I've been really trying to, to blow the shofar every morning, but not just inside my house, 
But on my balcony, I, I pray, you know, Rick was just there last week with his wife, Dawn, and they got to stand on my balcony and overlook and see the entire Judean desert. Uh, you could see all the way to the Dead Sea and to Masada and to Jerusalem. It's like over the entire land. And I've been blowing the shofar and hearing it echo through the mountains, and it feels like something is happening there. Something real is happening. And as, as the shofar this morning, I blew the shofar and it echoed through the vineyards. And uh, I, I guess I want to take this opportunity now to talk a little bit about the vineyards and what that has, the experience has been like for me, because it's been so painful and so enraging. It's like, imagine going to the doctor for a checkup and the doctor says, you look healthy, but we're, uh, we're amputating your left arm. And you ask, what is, is there something wrong with it? Am I sick? And the doctor says, no, we're just doing it because we can. And so that's, that's what we're doing now. That's what it feels like to see the decree that our beautiful flourishing vineyards will, God forbid, be ripped up and destroyed for no reason, nothing, nothing. I could go into all the legal details that you may want to understand, uh, but uh, a few days ago, the brilliant and courageous journalist, Carolyn Glick, I called her in the morning, I told her what was happening. She's like, I'm in the middle of a lot of things. And then she contacted me again and said, okay, all right, I'm coming out. And she came out to the farm. She's a big deal, Carolyn Glick. I have, for my entire adult life, she's been a journalist and I, I hold her almost at the level of a prophet. I know that sounds crazy. I say almost. She's not a prophet, but almost at that level, just from the, from the perspective of speaking truth to power in a fearless way. And so she came out to the farm and, uh, and just, you know, she wrote this very comprehensive article in one of Israel's leading newspapers called Yisrael Hayom. So I don't want to use up all of our time talking about that stuff. That's a, you know, picture of, of, of the article. Um, so I'll send you a link to that article in tomorrow's email. But here I want to focus more on the, the spirit of the matter. Because years ago, we planted this vineyard on the farm. And there could be no more natural, organic place to plant these vineyards as the valley in which we planted them. It's, it's two mountains over from Ma'ale Amos. The, a village, a Jewish village called the Heights of, of Amos. And why is it called the Heights of Amos? Because Amos the prophet, he, in those mountains, he declared over those very mountains, Vishafti shvutami, and I will restore my people Israel, and they shall rebuild ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, Vinatu kramim vishatuat yenam. They will till their gardens and eat their fruits. And I will plant them upon their soil. And they will never be uprooted again from the soil which I have given them, says the Lord God. And those are the words of Amos the prophet in that very place. And when you come out to the farm, you'll see that God has remained true to his word. In one glance, in one direction, you just look southeast from my home and you see rebuild of desolated uh, desolation rebuild of ruins the the 5000 fruit trees the vineyards and now they want to rip that up and around the same time we were planting these vineyards an innocent sweet holy young man 18 year old Ezra Schwartz have you heard of Ezra he was brutally murdered here's a picture of Ezra if you can make it bigger to cover the screen anyways what the article that Carolyn wrote won't tell you that he was on his way from guard post to guard post delivering food to IDF soldiers. That's what he did with his free time. His love for Israel was so passionate and so deep for the people of Israel, the soldiers of Israel, the land itself. He was from Boston, but he, his plans were to be in the land of Israel. And as the minivan he was in with his friends was stuck in a, in, a traffic, uh, in a traffic jam. These terrorists cowardly ambushed it, spraying it with machine gun fire and murdering him and injuring his friends. It was horrible. It was horrific. The whole country was reeling from it. 
And so we were just so touched by the light and the love that you could see emanating, even from a picture of Ezra's holy face, from the stories of, of the giving nature of this exceptional young man that we contacted his family and told them that we were going to plant our vineyards in his memory. And despite their crippling pain and devastation at the loss of their son, it's unimaginable. They were really deeply touched and grateful, and they understood the significance of why that was so perfect. And, and despite the obstacles and the challenges, our, our vineyard that we planted in his memory, it began to thrive and flourish. But it was flourishing with these beautiful, lush, intoxicating grapes that were decorating the vines. You see, we had uh, kids all from throughout the, all of Judea come, and they were so excited to, to harvest the grapes. They volunteered. They were just so excited. There was so much joy in this vineyard. It wasn't just a means to an end. It wasn't a vineyard for grapes. It was an end in and of itself. It was a meeting place between us and the land where love flourished, where we were able to manifest our love in only the way that you can in a vineyard in Judea. And, uh, and that's what they called it in the news. They called it vineyards, but really it it wasn't just vineyards. You can't isolate them and look at them through a microscope because they're part of this miraculous Garden of Eden-like oasis, which arose from thorns and thistles and stones. And they're part of this organic hole that is the Arugot farm. These vineyards, they, they, they bring, I, I was, as I was writing this, I was writing, they brought, no, but they're still here. We're still fighting for them. They bring this dimension of lush and enchanting beauty to this diamond that Hashem has fashioned in the hills of Judea called the Arugot Farm. You know, I look at it, it's just so obvious. Jeremy and I have, do not have the capacity to bring something this beautiful in the world. We both know it. Jeremy, you know it. We know that this was Hashem's doing. And, uh, and while the Ezra was uh, murdered and horribly taken from us before his time, I've really felt that he is alive through these vineyards. He continues to live through the prophetic grapes blossoming in the land that he loved with all of his heart from the vineyards that bear his name. And for no reason at all, truly, they want to uproot and to destroy. You know, there are people who are in this world to plant and to build and to bring light. And I guess there are people who are here to uproot and to destroy, and to bring darkness, and to seek to uproot the vineyards that we're entering in the sabbatical year, in the year of Shemitah, the sabbatical year in which it's a particular mitzvah to leave the land alone, and let it lie fallow, a mitzvah from the Torah, and they want to uproot it in this year, well, it just brings up the words that Abraham said to the Pharaoh Avimelech, he said, there's no fear of God in this place, that's what it felt like. Um, who are these people? I've never in my life met people like this with such cruel vindictiveness. You know what they're like? They're like those um, hall monitors in high school that are granted this like modicum of authority. And they're just so eager to use every bit of it to make your life miserable. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm getting riled up even now and I'm getting angry and I've been trying to work on it and work it through. But I'm I'm not, just, I'm not just starting. I've been struggling with this feeling of deep anger and righteous indignation ever since I heard about this. But it's not a coincidence, like Jeremy said, that this is happening before Rosh Hashanah, because on Rosh Hashanah, we remember that there is only one judge. We remember that while the civil administration may believe that they're the true judges and that the fate of our vineyards and our farm and our homes lie in their hands, on Rosh Hashanah, we remember that Hashem is the true judge and our fate lies in his hands and in his hands alone. Seeking to petition the civil administration is just a waste of time because Hashem is the ultimate decider and determiner, right? Uh, this is one of the verses from Psalms that I've said many, many times as threats come our way. Hashem li lo ira. Maya aseli adam. That's not the verse that they, he just posted. It's okay. God is mine. I will not fear for what can man do to me? It's not in the hands of the civil administration or any mortal 
to do us damage. Maybe the, the vineyards will, God forbid, be destroyed, but it's only if it's God's will. So we'll pray for this later, but I just want to take this opportunity. Hashem Abba, please annul this terrible decree for your namesake, for the sake of your prophets. Hashem, bring a miracle and save our vineyards that we can produce wine that could be used in the holy temple in these vineyards in memory of Ezra Schwartz. Please, Hashem, have mercy and have compassion, not only on us, but on all of Judea. Okay, so when we approach Rosh Hashanah, this is the time really for the prayer. This is the time when we need to load in the prayer. This is when the decree is written. And on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that's when the decree is sealed. Now, the Meiri, who is a great sage of Israel, he brings an analogy to explain why it's so important to pray with your whole heart on this time on Rosh Hashanah itself. So here's the analogy he gives. He explains that, the, that a group of fish spotted bait and they went for it. And when the fishermen raised the net, the fish realized that they were caught. So one fish said to his friend, we should have just taken the bait and fled. We took our time eating the bait and now we're caught. We should have just fled. So the Meir explains that by the time they took the bait, they were already in the net. And that's how our lives are. During the year, we may regret a decision that we made that ended up in a situation that seems unfavorable, that we don't like, but we really shouldn't regret that decision that we made because it was on Rosh Hashanah that the actual decree was made. This is the time for the most powerful prayer. This is the time when the genetic code for the year is being programmed. So Rosh Hashanah and the final days leading up to it, this is the time for tshuva. And the Parsha we read this Shabbat, Nitzavim, is always the portion that we read right before Rosh Hashanah. And as I sat in synagogue reading the portion, I understood why. Because it's all about tshuva. So now I would ask you to take out your Bibles, take out your chumashim, I'll give you a moment, and uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 9, uh, so we could go through the portion together inside and, um, and hear what it has to tell us about the art of tshuva. And I was thinking maybe we should even be doing this more, you know, reading inside, going inside and, and going through it together. Uh, because really, this Nitzavim, it's about the art of return, the art of tshuva. And it's filled with such richness, richness, just Hashem, please put the words in my mouth to allow me to express even a touch of the beauty in your Torah right now. So let's start by looking at the first verse of the portion. You were standing today, all of you, before Hashem your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel. Now there is um, so much to say about this. But I want to make a point that was brought down by Rav Shlomo Katz from Rav Shlomo Karlbach. He asked the question, why does it say the word kulchem, meaning all of you? It's, it seems redundant. It says atem, you. So why does it say atem, kulchem, meaning you, all of you? Why does it say that? And so the reason he gives is so beautiful. He says that the Torah says the word kulchem, all of you, to convey that when we stand before Hashem in repentance, we're not just standing all of us together, but that each of us is standing before Hashem kulchem, meaning in our totality. Everything included. We bring everything to the table. All of our mistakes and our shortcomings and our blemishes, we bring it all to the table. So, let me just try to explain what I mean by that right now. So a lot of times, if you're anything like me, you, you tend to persecute yourself for your blemishes, for your weaknesses, for the weaknesses that we know we all have, the weaknesses that cause us to stumble and to fall. And when we bring all of our shortcomings with us, as we approach Rosh Hashanah on Rosh Hashanah, 
part of the repentance, I believe, is thanking Hashem for those very same shortcomings. Because like we said earlier, Hashem doesn't make mistakes. He created us with those blemishes, with those weaknesses. We don't have to continue persecuting ourselves about them because Hashem created us like that. Our shortcomings are Hashem's gift to us, which allows us to know how we can best serve him. And it's okay if we've spent a lifetime fighting these shortcomings and we feel like we've still failed because our job isn't to defeat them. It isn't to overcome them because that's not in our hands. Victory or defeat in any endeavor is always in Hashem's hands. Our job is to fight the good fight with all of our hearts and all of our souls and to recognize that even if we think we failed, we just don't know anything. Maybe in Hashem's eyes, we were successful because the quote-unquote failure was meant to happen. Much like the sages say of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, that on some level, we were set up. And I want to talk about this more in a few weeks when on Bereshit, on the first parak. There's so much I want to talk to about that because really the, uh, the root code of the whole Torah is all you can find it out in the Garden of Eden. So... They were set up. That's what the sages say. And, uh, and Hashem knew they were going to eat from the fruit of the tree from the very beginning. So perhaps it was Hashem's will that despite our greatest efforts, it was his desire that we failed because the real test he was seeing was how loyal we are to him, how dedicated we are to him, how quickly we're going to get up and dust ourselves off and dive back into the fight again. The sages of Israel say, Tzaddik nofel sheva pa'amim v'kam. The righteous fall down seven times and rise up again. Seven symbolizing a lot. As many as it takes to never give up. Okay, so let's read on. Verses uh, 10 and 11. Your young children and your convert who is within your camp, both your woodcutters and your water drawers, that you may enter the covenant of the Lord your God and his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today. You know, it's like very covenant heavy, very oath heavy. And why, why a covenant? Why do we need to make a covenant? Maybe this is obvious to you, but the more I reflected on it, the more it comforted me. Because when you make a, confident, a, a covenant, you want to make it clear that the relationship is a committed one, that it's not subject to the moods and the whims that we all suffer from. It's never to be questioned. And this should be a comfort to us because despite the fact that we have fallen short and violated our covenant with God, even today and throughout history, God remains true to his word for all eternity, regardless of how we act. We're always his people and he will never choose another. And with this comes tremendous responsibility as well as tremendous consequences of violating his will and violating our word and what that means to us. Because, you know, the, the drama and the beauty and the pain of Jewish history is a testimony to the sheer power and responsibility of our covenant with God. And when you're in a covenant with God, the stakes are high. There's no other way to look at it. And so the upcoming verses, they describe exactly that. But let's continue on, okay? De Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 12 and 13. And the Lord uprooted them from their land with fury and anger and great wrath. And he cast them to another land as this day. One more time. The Lord uprooted them from their land with fury and anger and great wrath. And he cast them to another land as in this day. You know, when people ask me where I'm from in Hebrew, I always tell them, Texas, you know, I was born in Texas, but that's only because of the destruction of the temple and the exile. And the exile, that, that this, this Parsha describes the punishment we'll face, that we faced for sin, and that is the exile. Rabbi Sack brings up this beautiful idea that you would miss if it was totally exclusively in English. The word for sin in Hebrew is chet, which means to miss the mark. A, a different type of sin, a more intentional sin is avera, which means uh, to cross a boundary. You know, we're so like sin conscious, the Jewish people, 
that we have so many different words for sins, Averan, Avon, and Chet, but they all pretty much mean that you end up in a place that you shouldn't be in. And this is why sin, which is the, the, the act of ending up in the wrong place, is the result is exile. Because exile is a geographical consequence of our sins. That we're in a place in which we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be there. It's not a place that we can live and that we can thrive, which is why Rabbi Sachs explains that Adam and Eve were exiled due to their sin. Cain was exiled due to his sin. That's what we say in our prayers again and again every week. Because of our sins, we were exiled from our land. And that is why the Torah portion will explain soon the truest tshuva, the ultimate tshuva, the tshuva that will bring about the ultimate redemption that we've been praying for will only be activated as a consequence of the physical return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. Right, we'll get into that soon. But for the moment, let's turn to the next verse because I'm just trying to go actually through the different verses and not pop around too much. Because when I read this verse and I read the commentary, I immediately thought of all of you in such a powerful way. And I was so excited to share it with you because the messages that you send me, so many of you, it really comes, comes to this. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 28. The hidden things belong to the Lord. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things apply to us and to our children forever, that we must fulfill all the words of his Torah. So what does this mean, the hidden things? The great commentator Rashi, right, he, he explains here and also on Psalm 87, verse 6. I, I think you should, if you get a chance afterwards, go and read Psalm 87. He explains what the Torah means by the hidden things belong to the Lord. He says that, that the hidden things are a reference, an allusion to Jews who had become so assimilated among other nations, to Israelites who had been so assimilated to other nations, either by choice, but more often historically through persecution that their Jewish origins have been forgotten. And then the final redemption comes. Forgive me, this air conditioning is going nuts. The hidden ones he referred to in the verse is those which only Hashem knows. These are people that have been so disconnected and so lost that only Hashem knows their true roots and that they're part of the nation of Israel. And when Mashiach comes, when redemption happens, they will be restored to the status of their forefathers in redemptive times. And I can't help but to feel that this fellowship has some sort of part of that, that the, the, the sparks of your holy souls somehow, how else to explain it? How else do you explain why you're even here right now? You know, I was so excited to share this with you because for years throughout my travels, I just encountered so many non-Jews, like so many of you. We have many, many Jews in this fellowship, but we have many non-Jews as well. And, and there's, you're so lit up, so on fire, so in love with the God of Israel and the nation of Israel. And I just couldn't understand it. But I always had this feeling that it could really be this dormant spark in the deep recesses of your soul, which are being fanned and ignited right now. Do any of you feel like this is speaking to you? Raise your hands if yes. Everybody is raising their hands. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, I don't know who's who. And I'm not going to pretend that I know who's who. But I do feel strongly that we have ancient, deeply connected souls here in this fellowship. And I would love to hear from you uh, to see if any of you believe that, like, have proof or some thought that you're you're among those hidden souls because i i wouldn't be surprised if it's all of you now anyways let's read from here on the entirety of chapter 30 together to the end of the parsha for this is perhaps one of the most powerful chapters in all the torah if you could say such a thing okay so let's start i'm reading here from my Art scroll. I love the art scroll. Not every part of it. Well, it's not really showing up. But uh, but anyways. 
you are standing, all of you today, before Hashem your God. Oh, wait a second. No, this is starting with 30, chapter 30. Forgive me. It will be that when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curse that I've presented before you, then you will take it to your heart among all the nations where Hashem your God has dispersed you. And you'll return unto Hashem, your God, and listen to his voice according to everything that I command you today, you and your children, with all of your heart and all of your soul. Okay, let's go to the Hebrew. V'shav Hashem elokecha et shvudcha v'rachmecha v'shav v'kibadzcha mikol ha'amim asher hafetzicha Hashem elokecha shama. Then Hashem your God will bring back your captivity and have mercy upon you, and he will gather you in from all the peoples to which Hashem your God has scattered you. So this verse is a really interesting one. It says you will return to your God, but it says it twice. So is there a purpose to this repetition? So a, a careful reading reveals a slight discrepancy between the two phrases there. So after reflection in the exile, the Jewish people returned to the land of their forefathers. And here the text says, Vishav Ad Hashem. You'll return up to God using the Hebrew word Ad, just up to God. But after returning to the land of Israel and God removes the barriers of our hearts, they will learn to fully love God and to keep his commandments. And this time the Torah says, Kitashuv El. You'll return un fully until God, all the way unto God using the preposition L. So there was Ad, which means you'll come up to God, and then L, you will actually come and merge with God. And that can only happen when we return to the land of Israel. And I'm telling you, I see it at the farm. We just had yeshivas come out to the farm, and every single yeshiva that comes out with these young Jewish men that come out to the farm, the rabbis call us and tell us it's changed their lives. Something happened. They want to stay in the land of Israel. They felt something in their hearts, and you, ju you just can't turn back. So the most telling is the usage of the word shav. In the Hebrew, it should say veheshiv, which means and Hashem would cause to return, would cause you to return. But it says shav, meaning that Hashem himself will return. And this explains the circumcision of the heart. Because if there's a piece of the Shekhinah with every soul of Israel, when the souls of Israel return to, it, to the land of Israel and reunite, reunite with Hashem in Judea in the Holy Land, a bright and a holy light begins to illuminate the whole world. And uh, while the circumcision of the heart starts here with Israel, ultimately it will affect the hearts of all of mankind. And I'm telling you, just when it comes to the circumcision of the heart, I wanted to go into this so deeply but the truth is, I don't fully understand it. All I can say is that I have experiences of it, where I just feel it for a moment. I feel for a moment like this. It's almost painful sometimes. Just this past Shabbat, I felt that I was looking at these little Judean children in the hearts of Judea, and I was so filled with love for them that I just felt like I, could, I would die a thousand times for all of them. And so it's painful because there's a new sensitivity that's being developed in our hearts, but that is what is coming into the world right now at this point in time. So, uh, so, so let's go on. Where are we up to right now? Hashem, your God, chapter verse seven, Hashem, your God will place all these imprecations upon your enemies and those who hate you, who pursued you, and you shall return and listen to the voice of Hashem and perform his commandments that I command you today. Hashem will make you abundant in all your handiwork in the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your animals, the fruit of your land for good, when Hashem will return to rejoice over you for good, as he rejoiced over your forefathers. When you listen to the voice of Hashem your God to observe his commandments and his decrees that are written in the book of the Torah, when you shall return Hashem your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today, it is not hidden from you and it's not distant from you. It's not in the heavens for you to say, who can ascend to the heaven for us to take it so we can listen to it and perform it? 
So I want to talk about this for a moment, this one verse, because when I really got into this verse and it was taught to me in just a little bit of a different angle, a different way, it really changed my entire experience leading up to Rosh Hashanah. It was one of those medicinal teachings that I needed to hear at the time. Because in Hebrew, the word for heaven, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Shamaim. It's Shamaim, right? It says there, Loba Shamaim Hilemor. It's not in the heavens that you will say, who can go get it from us? But you can also read that word differently. And how can you read it? Not as Shamaim, but as Shamim. Shamim. The word Shamim, well, the word Sham means there, somewhere else. Po is here and Sham is there. So shamim means all of the theirs, all of the different theirs. The art of tshuva, my friends, is dependent on letting go of all of those theirs that we've created in our heads and embracing the one true here. True tshuva means in, internalizing fully the truth that you're exactly where you need to be to come close to Hashem. So here's just an example from what's going on with me right now. I caught myself wishing that this whole vineyard thing wasn't happening, not only because of the horrific threat involved, but because battling this isn't what I thought, and I could say what we thought we needed to be doing right now. That wasn't the campaign that we thought we would be running right now to bring the most light, but, uh, but no, a world in which this vineyard thing isn't happening is a fantasy. In the world of truth, in Hashem's world, us approaching this challenge with all of our hearts and, and, and dedicating ourselves fully to using this as an opportunity to sanctify Hashem's name and bring his light into the world, that's Hashem's desire, to fully embrace the present, the reality, the now, the now. That's the key. And the, the voices that are in our head, or at least in my head, that I would really be able to do tshuva if I was if I had a different job or a different family or a different situation or, or married to someone else, thank God I don't face those challenges. But there's a lot of things that I think should be different. All of those shamim, all of those theirs, they're, they're fantasies and illusions. And the more we tackle each thing in our life that we wish were different one by one, that's an excellent work for right now, just to tackle each one of those things one by one. And we don't only accept them, but embrace them. Well, that's making Hashem king. That is coronating Hashem as king. Okay. Let's, uh, verse 13. Nor is it across the sea for you to say, who can cross to the other side of the sea for us and take it for us so that we can listen to it and perform it? It's not, you know, I remember always thinking like, oh, I, I'd be able to run when I get all the right equipment. I don't have all the right equipment now. We don't need to have the right equipment for tshuva, we have it all, it's within us. Rather, this matter is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart to perform it. Verse 15. See, I have placed before you today the life and the good and the death and the evil. That which I command you today to love Hashem your God, to walk in his ways, to observe his commandments and his decrees and his ordinances. Then you will live and you will multiply and you will, and you will multiply and Hashem your God will bless the land to which you come to possess it. But if your heart will stray and you will not listen and you are led astray and you prostrate yourself to strange gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will surely be lost. You will not lengthen your days upon the land that you crossed the Jordan to come here to possess it. I call heaven and earth today to bear witness against you. I have placed life and death before you, blessing and curse, and you shall choose life so that you will live, you and your offspring, to love Hashem your God, to listen to his voice and to cleave to him. For he is your life and the length of your days to dwell upon the land that Hashem swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. So he says, to love Hashem, your God, with all of your heart, to listen to his voice upon your land. That's something that happens. That's a shift that begins to happen when we enter the land of Israel. That 
we enter Rosh Hashanah less with trepidation and fear. And because of the circumcision of our hearts, we are filled with love because we, we find ourselves at a moment of this ultimate return to God right now. And we're on the brink of redemption. And each of us needs to feel like the whole thing, all of redemption, the fate of the world depends on us personally, depends on us crowning Hashem as king of the world. And what does it mean? Again, let's just review this one more time. What does it mean to crown Hashem as king? We know that Hashem is king with or without our recognition or our acknowledgement of it. So what does it mean to crown him as king in our hearts? It means that recognizing in the deepest way, internalizing in our hearts that every part of our lives, every detail, every moment are his decree and his orchestration and therefore to accept it lovingly. My sister, she always uh, says that she suffers from FOMO. Have you heard of FOMO? It's, it's a blemish in faith, this FOMO. It's a fear of missing out. That wherever we are is the perfect place to be. We're not missing out on anything, especially going into Rosh Hashanah where we can imagine other families and other people have the most meaningful experience and we're not having it. Where we are is the best place for us to have the most meaningful experience that we need. Whatever situation we find ourselves in is the only situation we could be in from which we can grow exactly the way we need to grow to serve Hashem. So I'm going to try to wind it down here. It's true. It's true that the shofar is the sound of the beginning of human history, right? Where God breathed breath into, into man. And it's also true that the sound of the shofar is a sign of messianic times. That the sound of the shofar will echo throughout the land of Israel and from Israel to the whole world. And while this final shofar blowing may be initiated by us here on earth, it will culminate, culminate with God breathing his breath into the sound of the final shofar, where he will blow his breath into that final shofar and ingather the exiles from around the world. Just as he blew the spirit of life into man himself, the prophet Isaiah tells us, and it shall come to pass on that day, a great shofar will be sounded, and those shall come who were lost in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Almighty on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So may Hashem bless us, my friends. As Jeremy said with a, a shana tovahu metukan, why do we say both? Why do we say both just like Jeremy said? Because everything is good, but we're blessing each other with revealed good and with sweetness and with apples, and with honey, and with celebration. And speaking of honey, I wanted to share this video from this morning of my little Dvash. You know, we don't post anything on social media about her. We don't do that. But again, it just ends up here. It's cut out when it we're posted online. But Shana sent me this this morning, and it's Dvash, our little honey. Dvash means honey. And she wrote, she wrote to me, Shana said, Dvash has just learned how to read. Can you read more? Nama, 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 nama. Uh, yeah. Nama, 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 nama. Mama, yeah, mama, more. Oh, mama. my turn? I should read? You read a little bit more. One more page. One more page. Nama, nama, nama. Nama, nama. Mama. Thank you. How delicious is that? And, you know, when I, when I saw that for the first time, it spoke to me exactly about Rosh Hashanah. Because... You know, in the end of the day, when we stand before Hashem and we're trembling and we recount our sins and, and we were just shaking in fear that on some level, perhaps the deepest level, he sees us. Hashem sees us trying our best and pouring out our hearts to him. And maybe it seems to him just like Dvash reading that book. And he's just filled with more love with us than we can ever imagine. And yes, he is the ultimate judge, but like we said last week, and like we have to remember going into this Rosh Hashanah, he is the judge, but our little secret is that he's also our father. Avinu Malkenu. He's our father and our king. And with that, I want to bless all of you. And unfortunately, my friends, I can't go into it, but we, we can't do the prayer session that I had planned for right now. But I want to remind you that the moment we receive your prayers, we pray immediately. 
And for those that wish, here's my idea that I think could really, could really uh, elevate this entire issue. So I would ask you to please send me your requests tonight and make it clear that you want it shared with the fellowship. And I'll collect them onto one document. And for those who want, we'll send them out tomorrow uh, with, the, with the email that goes out tomorrow with the article and everything else. And you can print it up. And we can all pray for each other on Rosh Hashanah itself. So for now, for the last time in 5781, I will say shalom to all of you, my beloved, beloved friends who I love so much, and bless you with the blessing of Aaron, the high priest. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'chuneka. Isa Adonai panavelecha v'yisamlecha shalom. May Hashem bless you and protect you. May he shine his light and his countenance upon you. May he shine his face towards you. And may he give you peace. Shalom, my friends. Love you all so much. Shana tova umetuka. May we all be in, sealed in the book of life. Shalom. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.